Is this working? Fantastic. Echoing. Echoing. Is it still echoing? No. Nah, it's possible. Anyway, it's lovely to see you all. Do you have a nice weekend so far? Yeah? Have you had a nice week? I've had a crazy week. Honestly. I've been to London a few times, coming home late, I've worked late. Um, I had a strange experience yesterday morning of... <laughs> Uh, having a debate with the local MP about leaving U- the Eurozone. I was for staying, wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to London and then I came back and then there was a party. Just a mad... So if I seem a bit spaced out today and I'm staring into space, you know why. All right. Anyway, I'm going to really tell you a testimony. That's what I'm going to do. And I've... I've thrown in a few Bible verses as well as some short stories to make it sound like a sermon, all right? But it's essentially a testimony. And do you know what? Testimonies are so powerful because what they do, if you hold on to them, you can adopt the things you learn in the testimony and make it your own. That's the truth. So I hope what I'm going to say you'll adopt today. And the Bible's full of testimonies. The Bible is full of biographies about people. Now, I don't often speak on a Sunday morning. This is my first for probably years, right? But I'm here because God's told me to come here today. Because he's got a word, a special word for certain people here. And this process started two weeks ago. Two weeks ago this Sunday. Ten to seven in the morning. I'm asleep. And it's still dark. And my wife has gone downstairs to do whatever she was doing. Folding clothes or or whatever she was doing. And she comes upstairs and the door opens and she, she says to me, 10 to 7 in the morning, I've got you a cup of tea. And I think, it's 10 to 7 in the morning. It's still dark. And this hand reaches through the gloom with a hot cup of tea, right? So I sit up, a bit confused, what's going on? And here's a tip. If you're going to make cups of tea, leave a space between the top of the cup. <laughs> right? It's a tip. And where you start the hot tea, yeah? You don't fill it to the brim so it's horizontal with the top, representing like a duck pond with ripples, right? Don't do that. Anyway, this cup of tea comes through the gloom, and I grab hold of it. What's going on? It's 10 to 7. And you know, the weird thing is, I don't even drink tea. I'm a coffee drinker. That's bizarre. So I sit up, I sit, I sit, because there's this duck pond effect, I say to Joe, look, can you bring me a book to rest this tea on? So I'm going you know, to get injured here. And she hands me this book, this very book, right? And I drink my tea, and as tea goes, it was all right. Could have done with a biscuit, right? But <laughs> it was okay. And I finished my tea, I put the cup down, and I think, What's this book, this black book that she's handed me? And I, I notice it's got my name on it, Mike Mason, as a label. And there's another label, it says, Journal, Prayer. I'm thinking, wow, this is spiritual. And I open up, it up, and I come to this entry, the 6th of September 2010, when I read this entry that I've made. And I'm so startled by what I've written, right? I immediately feel God say to me, you've got to come to church to tell people what it is you wrote in this journal. 6th of September 2010. And I felt the Spirit of God come on me. 
And I came to church that day, and I sat over in the back there. And at the end of the meeting, Phil Reed, Pastor Phil, comes walking towards me, and he says, Mike, do you want to speak in church? And I said, you know what? God's told me to speak based on my journal. So that's what I'm going to do. But I'll tell you what's in the journal later. <laughs> All right? It's coming. But you see... <laughs> Thank you. Um, you see, if you are in a position today where you are hoping that God's going to do something for you, say God's given you a promise, and you're still waiting for that promise to come, this word's for you. <clears throat> and if you feel you've been disappointed about something that was hoping to happen, never happened, this word's for you. And if you feel you've got issues, mental issues, problems in your thinking, this word's for you. If you've got problems in your health, this word's for you. It's going to be a great word. Right? Okay. And this word is all about waiting. It's about waiting. And it's something I'm not good at, personally. Um, because waiting is a humbling thing. It takes you out of the driving seat and puts you in the passive role, waiting for something to happen. Somebody's in control, and it ain't you. All right? Now, one of the things I do, I'm a, I'm a chartered accountant. I don't tell many people that, but I am. Right? Keep it quiet. I don't want to do your tax return. All right, keep it quiet. But I work for a large accountancy firm, massive, 65,000 employees in my firm, and I'm a director there. And I head up the forensic team. Anyway, but there are directors in London who are greater than me, you see. They're more important than me. And they phone me up and they say, Mike, I want to come to a meeting. Two o'clock, Baker Street. So I turn up at two o'clock. I'm sitting in the waiting room, ten past two. Nobody shows. Twenty past two. Two thirty, I'm still there. Two forty, I'm still there. And then this guy turns up. And this is the trick, right? You don't say sorry for being late. Okay? So he just walk in and he says, hello, Mike, all right? And he just starts off. And what he's saying to me, keep me waiting for 40 minutes, he's, he's saying, I control time. I control your time. You've been waiting 40 minutes, have you, Mike? Tough. Because I'm better than you. And that's what they do, you see. So waiting is a humbling thing. Now, what I do now, if they come in at 10.40, I say, or 2.40, I say, excuse me, I've been waiting since 2 o'clock. I don't care who they are. I've been waiting since 2 o'clock. You've waited, wasted 40 minutes of my time. Please don't do it again. Well, that's what I do now. But I never used to do that. But I've learned something, you see. Anyway, but this, this sermon I'm giving you about waiting, it is contrary to how I am. Because I'm naturally a very restless person. You speak to my wife. I'm, I've suffered with restlessness. Constantly, since, since knee-high to a grasshopper. And um, I, I, I'm, I have difficulties. <laughs> if you talk to me and you start getting a bit boring, I will switch off and I'll start thinking about something else. It's, that's a fact. <laughs> that's what I'm like. And if I'm with my wife, and everything my wife says is fascinating and interesting, right? I'll just tell you this. <laughs> but if I'm walking with her and she's talking this fascinating and interesting stuff and she says to me, you're not listening, are you? And I think, oh, blimey. Well, I, I said, I am listening, actually. Well, I'm listening right now. See, I, don't, I, am, I am listening. 
Is this the little bit you just said? Could you repeat that? Could you, could you bring me up to speed with that last bit? Unless you're going to move. Well, no, 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 you weren't listening. Unless I really was, but I just need to be reminded of the last bit. And, and can you just repeat what you said? And then it's not good. And one of the things I do, as well as being an accountant, I'm a, I'm a barrister as well, you see, so one of my other jobs. And um, one of the things that happens in court, when you give your, it works like this, you give your closing speech to the jury or to the judge, and then the jury or the judge go out and deliberate, you see. And I, I sit there, and I'm so nervy, sitting there waiting for these guys to come back. And I look across the, the court, and I see the other barristers, and they're calm. And they're enjoying the wait. And I'm not. I'm sort of banging my pen. And, and I look at them and I think, do you know what? They are probably reciting poetry. <laughs> you know, like stands the village clock at ten to three. <laughs> and will there be honey still for tea? <laughs> and I... I am standing up, I've got my wig off, I've taken it off, I've put it in my bag, I've walked down the side, I've paced him back and forth, I've talked to the usher, I've talked to the clerk, I've gone out, I've accosted somebody in the corridor for a chat, I've gone for a cup of tea, coffee actually, <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee, I'm not happy, I come back, I think, oh, I, I don't, I'm thinking, what's going on in there? It's been seven minutes though, Julie, what's going on? <laughs> So I don't do waiting very well at all. Seriously, it's been a problem all my life. But this little story that I'm going to tell you is all about that, waiting. And it's, it's, it's an irony that it's me that's telling you it. All right? Let's look at these scriptures I promised you. Proverbs 13:12 says this. Now we're talking about hope, all right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then it says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So we've got the bad bit of the start, and then we've got the uplifting piece in the second part of this paragraph. So how do we get from the first bit to the second bit, where we turn that hope and we turn it into the tree of life? Has anybody had hope deferred? And then the heart becomes sick. Yeah? This is what I'm talking about here. Because I've had hope deferred. And there is a way that God gives us for stopping that hope becoming a sickness in our hearts. There's a... Um, remember listening to a little story on Radio 4. There was this guy. He was about, I think, 29. He was on the radio. And he was talking. I don't know what the context was. He was talking. And he said he suffered with mental problems depression and he was having bizarre illusions and this sort of stuff he's 26 and he said he'd he'd come to the end of his tether with this and he'd seen everybody and he felt he couldn't go on anymore and he went to waterloo bridge i think it was waterloo bridge or it could be westminster bridge in london and he climbed up and he's going to jump off into the thames right he thought this is it and i remember listening to his story thinking gosh his story does sound terrible I can understand why he wants to jump off the bridge. You know, when you jump off the bridge, you don't swim, you die, because it's, it's such a steep uh, and you know, heavy fall, really. And he said, as he's there, balancing, just about to leap off the bridge, he hears this voice, this guy, and he says, this guy goes, London guy, he goes, what are you doing, mate? 
And he looks down, he can't see anybody. It's late, it's late one o'clock in the morning. He says, well, we're going to jump off the bridge. And the bloke goes, you don't want to do that. And he says, well, I've got this problem. And he starts relating this problem to this guy. My mental problem, my depression. And this bloke says this, he said, you'll get better. You'll get better. Amazing. And this guy suddenly fills with hope. And this guy on the bottom wasn't a doctor or anything, he was just a cockney. What he was doing at one o'clock on Westminster Bridge, his goodness only knows, but he was there. You get better. And he said, um, I'll tell you what, come down and I'll get, take it for a cup of tea. Fantastic. And he gets down off the bridge and he goes for a cup of tea with this guy. And he was an educated chap. He's been to university. He wasn't a druggie or anything. He was just an okay bloke. He just suffered with depression. And he came down, he sat down, he sat down for a cup of tea. And we became buddies, me and this guy. And he, just those words, you will get better, fill me with hope. And this wasn't a Christian. This was Radio 4, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right? You'll get better, let's have a cup of tea. And they became friends. And this guy wasn't a dodgy bloke. He was just, I think he was coming home from work. He was just an ordinary bloke. And they became friends. And he said, I did get better. My mental illness left me. That's about hope. And, you know, the answer is this. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says this. This is the answer to this heart becoming sick. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And that is the secret. Right? It's waiting on the Lord. And waiting is not a passive thing here. It is an active thing. Waiting is not just letting God do something for you. It's waiting in peace, in hope, in expectation. Right? And then knowing God will do it. My story's coming in a minute, by the way. All right. And I will go back to my journal in a moment. Okay? But it's, it's knowing God will do it. And then it says this. They shall rise up with wings of eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. So you're waiting for something to happen. And it's better than that. It's waiting on God to do this thing for you. And it's an active thing. And I'll explain in a moment, all right? And the heart does not become sick. Because when the heart becomes sick, you lose your power. You lose your hope. And you lose the strength. And this dream that you've got will disappear. The difference between somebody who's successful and somebody who is not successful is often the guy who's successful never gave up. That's what it is. There are people who never give up. They just keep going and going until they get to what they wanted to achieve, right? And this is what I'm talking about today. Not giving up, letting God do it, not letting your heart become sick, but rising up with wings of eagles. Okay. Are you still with me? Let's look at some scriptures. Or talk, let's talk about a biography. Joseph, Genesis 37. Those who don't know the story of Joseph... It's right early on in the Bible. And it, 
it gives us how to live, really. It's one of those wonderful biographies. Let's remind you what happened. We have Joseph, he's 17. He's the son of Jacob. He's got some brothers. He gets some dreams. <laughs> and he tells his brothers about his dreams, right? He says, basically, I got these dreams. I was sort of standing there and you were all bowing down to me. And then he goes another one. He says, I've got this other dream that's a similar vein, similar theme. I'm standing there, you're bowing down to me. Right? And they don't like it. <laughs> They're a bit miffed. So they end up, slight overreaction, they grab him and they sell him off to some slave um, captains or something and they go off to Egypt. Yeah? Now his dream, given to him, suddenly starts to look a bit flaky. Agreed? It's looking flaky. And what happens? He goes then and he ends up in a house of a chap called Potiphar, who's the captain in the Roman, Pharaoh's army, not Rome, Pharaoh's army. And he's doing very well. And then his dream starts to dissolve once again. And he's accused of a crime he didn't commit. And he's thrown into prison. The dream starts to look flaky already again. And in prison... He does something wonderful. He interprets the dreams of a cupbearer and of a baker. Right? The cupbearer gets executed, the baker gets released. Two years go by. Right? He's waiting. He's still in jail. Two years go by. And Pharaoh has a dream. And this baker remembers this chap in prison. And they haul him out of prison. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he's immediately exalted from being a prisoner to being the second in command over Egypt. His dream is fulfilled. And what Joseph tells us is a number of things. is faithfulness. Keep faithful to what's got God for you. Patience through suffering. Long-suffering and endurance. And the readiness to listen to God and take action. This is what I'm talking about. The readiness to take action. Because God gave Joseph the opportunity to do something. To interpret those dreams. And he did it. His heart was not sick. Because he was in this fix. In this awful situation. His heart was not sick. But he took the opportunities as they arose. And that is the power behind the story of Joseph. Which we can apply to our lives. Whatever that situation is. All right? Now, we need faith to believe God's promises. And we need, when God's given us a promise or a hope in our hearts, we need to continue to pray. We need to continue to listen to his voice. Otherwise, the heart will go sick. And when the heart goes sick, you switch off from your dream. And you stop listening to the Lord because you put that dream into the siding, and it's gone into hibernation. If you keep the dream alive by praying, by believing, by holding fast to God's promises, you will hear the word of God whispering in your ears to do something, to take this microscopic step forward along the path, even though you don't know it. And, and what Joseph tells us is that our maturity is often revealed by what we do in the gap between the promise 
and the fulfilment of that promise. We're in that period, that gestation period, where our character is built up, where God's faithfulness is proven. Right? Now, when I was a kid, I was always a, a kid who liked, when I was a primary school kid, who liked to tell stories, sing songs, learn poems. And at the end of the day, the headmaster would take us all in, in assembly, would get me down the front, in front of the whole school, I'd tell them a story. And I'd make it up as I went along. That's what I used to do. I didn't think it was anything extraordinary. That's what I used to do. So I've always liked standing up and talking. Right? And another thing I've always liked, I'm argumentative by nature. I really am. If you say black, I'll say blue. If you put a posting on Facebook which says something like, I'm a teacher, I mean, life is very hard. Something like that. I'm a junior doctor, or oh, give me some more money. You know, I will come, I'm sure it's true, right? I will come back at you, I don't know who you are, and I'll say, you're a teacher, your life is very hard. My life's even harder. <laughs> I'm a chimney sweep. I'll just make it up. A chimney sweep. <laughs> My life is very hard. And I'm in some debate with some stranger about who's got the hardest life, a chimney sweep or a doctor? A chimney sweep or a teacher? And I love it. And my wife says, what are you doing now? Having some debate with some bloke. Chimney sweep or teacher. But I've been that way all my life. As some folks here will testify. (laughs) Dave Lings. Um, All right? So when I was a child, I knew in my heart, and this is the honest truth, I wanted to be a barrister when I was a little kid. I knew it. And I always dreamed of it. And I ended up, strangely, as a chartered accountant, working for a large accountancy firm, running their forensic department. And that means you investigate crime, essentially. You investigate frauds. And I was uh, the Minister of Defence fraud investigator for eight years, going around the world investigating all these dodgy characters, right? Doing very well. My department was extremely well. And we were coming quite famous as a department. I'm not telling this to you to brag myself up. I'm just telling you the story of how it is. And in the year 2000, I thought, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be a barrister. I want to argue with people. <laughs> Seriously. I want to stand up in court and say to the judge, bim, bam, and a boom. And I want to argue with this guy over here. So I started the long process. And if you've heard this story, please bear with me. You might have heard it heard it before but you might find a snippet of new information here you never know anyway so I started this long process in the year 2000 to qualify as a barrister and it's a very arduous thing and I found the exams difficult the law exams I found them very difficult I did alright but I just keep, kept personally I was working sometimes 60 hours a week and then still studying when I got home Right? That's what I was like. I'd get up before the kids got up to work. I'd do two hours. I'd do two hours after they went to bed. And I did this for a long time. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I find I'm a slow learner. My son, Elliot, you know, he did his A-levels. And um, I used to come in his room, study, studying for his A-levels. He'd be, he used to be lying in bed, sort of just reading his book. I'd say to him, that's not studying. But, you know, you've got to be working harder than that. And he gets straight A's. I think that's not fair. <laughs> and me, I've got to really work hard to, to, to understand anything. So I work doubly hard than most people. Right? That's what I'm like. And then I went to bar school. 
It did very well at my degree. It went to bar school. And that was even worse. 20 exams, the most toughest exams I've ever had, freaked me out. My nerves were shot. Then after bar school, I got these exams. I had to do a pupillage. And a pupillage, to get a pupillage, you've got to be interviewed by a barrister's chambers. And you were up against 400 other people. Right? And praise God, I got in. It's, that's a miracle. That's a miracle in itself. I got in. And then following that, you've got to have dinners in London. You've got to go to the inns of court and have dinners and all this special palaver. Right? I did all that. Okay? And then I did my year with this very good barrister's chambers. And I was so tired, I got pneumonia. I spent six months with pneumonia, which I couldn't get rid of because I'd worked so hard. I'm just telling you the process, right, guys? And then at the end of this year, um, and it's a, it's a probationary period this year, what they do, they decide whether they want to keep you or not. Right? So your nose is up against the winning tape. Your nose is pressing against it. And I'd put seven years of effort into this. And they phoned me up and said, Mike, sorry, mate, we're not keeping you. And I was it. I was gone. Seven years. <laughs> gone. In a flash. In a phone call. They said, Mike, we're not keeping you. And they put the phone down. By which time, I'd given up my, my famous job as the investigator, fraud investigator, you see? And I was out of work. I saw my seven years of slog filter out and come to a juttering halt. And I tell you now, I had some major issues with my life, with God, all that I'd done for the last seven years, all the struggle that I'd had, all the miraculous successes I'd had up to that point. I saw just wave itself away out of the window. And I had a terrible, terrible time. You asked my wife, I had a terrible time trying to come to terms with it. And I'm a person who doesn't give up easy. Right? I just don't. And I was determined to keep this career back on track. And I contacted every barrister's chambers in the South. I had interview after interview. I went to see chambers in London. I met with judges. I exhausted, I think, every opportunity. And every time an opportunity arose, the door opened and it shut in my face. I even, and I ended up going back to my accountancy firm. They had me back, praise God. You know. I even suggested to them, why don't I form my own law firm within the firm? And I saw the main executive in London. I started to form a law firm. I put all the papers together. It took me a year. And at the end of the year, they turned around and said, no, we don't want to do that. And that door shut as well. Bang. So, that takes me to my journal. All right? And this is where I was when I wrote this entry in, a journal, in this journal. And I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds really spiritual, this journal. Um, and I'd love to say to you, I'm a fantastic journaler. I'd love to be like Sheila Burton. <laughs> getting up every morning. And I mean this. Every morning, getting the Bible out. Praying. Reading the Word. Writing it in my journal, right? I'd love to say I could do that. What happens to me is I get thrilled by talking to Sheila. I think, right, journaling. That's me. I'm going to journal. And I get a book like this. And to make sure that I do journal, I put a label on it, you see. And I put two on it. Mike Mason, it's true. Journal prayer. 
So I'm already up and running. I'm winning already. I've got a journal book and I've got a label on it. Do you know, the problem with my journal is that I lose the book. After two days, I've lost the book. So I get a new book. I get a new book. Still journaling. It needs a label. So I put a label, Mike Mason. Journal of, I don't know, Bible study journal. I found one the other day. And I just came across it. And it was Mike Mason. Journal private bracket. I thought, fancy somebody finding that. They're going, wow. This is going to be fascinating. And you open it up, and it's blank. So my journaling career has not been great. All right? I don't know what it is. The restlessness, I lose interest after day two. But listen to this entry I put in my journal. (laughs) And this is what shook me. When I drunk that cup of tea. And it says this. Sorry, it's a bit dark here. It says this, right? 4th of September, 2010. Number one. Th- well, sorry. These are the things we are praying for. Number one. To sell this house and buy the Corf Mullen house. And we were living in this house in Lichard. Okay? This is in 2010. We sold the house in January 2016. So there was a see the waiting period? Five and a half years? We waited five and a half years. We could not sell it. We took on this massive financial commitment in 2010 when my job was going through the floor, honestly. But we felt God told us to take this big step. And I was full of nerves about this because I'm quite, when it comes to money, I'm quite conservative. But this was a massive step for us. And in the natural, it looked the wrong thing to do. Because I was taking on a huge mortgage. When my job was looking as if it was going to be kicked into touch, I'd lost my career as a barrister. What am I going to do? But we, God told us to take on this, this thing. And in 2016, we sold that house and we cleared everything. Miraculously. That's not what I'm getting at. That's just the precursor. That's the, that's the starter. This is what I'm going to talk about. And I said this. For an opening in my job, so I can do the following... Training, forensic, and barristering, all three. This is what I'm praying for. This is when my career as a barrister came to a juddering halt. Right here. Okay? Keep on. And now it's just great. I should be a professional journaler. Listen to this. I put this. Waiting is a sign of humility. It's me writing. It says... I can do nothing more. The power is in your hands and not mine. Waiting needs trust. Waiting demands peace of mind. Otherwise, waiting is usurped by our own doing. It's like poetry, isn't it? It's fantastic. I bet Sheila doesn't use words like usurped. Does she? But you see what I'm saying here? I come to the place right here where I knew I couldn't do anything more. And I honestly, I tried everything. I'd seen every person you could imagine I could see. And I'd had interview after interview after interview and they all shut the door in my face. So at this moment in time, all my energies were exhausted. And God told me to write this. Do you notice any, any um, 
hint of self-pity in what I wrote. That's a leading question, by the way. Do you, you don't notice any self-pity here, do you? Nothing at all. Because I've come to that place, honestly, genuinely, where I could do nothing more. And you know what? This is why waiting on the Lord is so powerful. Because I started to wait on the Lord. And God said to me, you will have all these things. You will. And all these things together are bizarre. Because I work for this very large accountancy firm. And they take no prisoners. Really. And what I was suggesting to them was, can I go part-time? What? Kind of laugh. That's what they would say. And I wanted to be a barrister as well. And I wanted to do training as well, which is something I do, you see. Carrying on my story. Two years went by. This is 20, uh, 2010, isn't it? Sorry, three years went by. And nothing had happened. Do you know what? I still didn't lose hope in these things. Every day I prayed, Lord, you're going to bring this stuff for me. And not once did I doubt that God would not fulfill these things I'd prayed. Not once. And you know, there's a great verse in Romans and it says this. And this is the importance of speaking out the truth. Romans says this, Romans 10.8. The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith. The message is in your mouth. And so every time I spoke about these things, I used to say, yeah, I'm going to be a bastard one day. I'm going, to, I'm going to have these things. Because I kept my heart from becoming cold and letting the dream die. Even in the natural, there was no hint or sign or even semblance of hope in the natural this would ever take place. Do you agree? This is what happened. One night, I can't remember, I think it was November 2013, I was there. Uh, sitting with Joe, I was fiddling about on the computer, right? Looking at barristers' chambers, as is my want. Looking at the law, right? I like the law. And I came across this website, it was Two Kings Bench Walk, London. And I thought, it was interesting chambers in London, Two Kings Bench Walk. Um, why don't I contact them? And I thought, nah, there's no way. London Chambers, what about me, guy living in Dorset, wasted time. But look, look at them, they look good. So I went to bed. Next morning, nine o'clock, nine o'clock, on the dot, my phone rings. I pick it up, and there's this lady, she says, I'm um, Mike, she's a barrister. And sometimes these folks phone me up for some free advice about company lawyers. She says, Mike, she says it's, uh, and she gives her name, and I remember her from about six years before, you see. And I said, oh, hello. How are you? She said, I'm fine. She says, I want to pick your brains, Mike. If anybody ever says that, I always say, that won't take you very long. It's a little stock joke. I, I give it for free. That won't take you very long. And she says, oh, by the way, by the way, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, I'm back at uh, my large accountancy firm, running the forensic team again. She says, oh, what about the barristering? I said, um, well, it's sort of, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I was thinking of looking at the little barrister's chambers in Bournemouth. She said, oh, no, you don't want to do that. No, no, no. Why don't you join us? I said, who are you then? She says, two King's Bench walk. <laughs> I said, what? She said, yeah. Didn't you know I was here? I said, no, I haven't spoken for six years. She said, do you want to join us? 
I said, oh, girl, I don't know. And she says, I tell you what, I'll phone you back in 10 minutes. Put the phone down, she phones back. She says, Mike, just spoken to the senior clerk who wants to see you. Thursday, can you do it? I said, yeah. And she says, oh, by the way, we're in Portsmouth as well, and we work across the south coast. Right. right? All true. So anyway, I goes into to, to Portsmouth to meet their senior guys. Now, usually, if, to get into a barrister's chambers, they put you through the mill. They, they give you a li- bunch of legal papers, right? They give you half an hour to assess the legal papers. They call you in, and then they cross-examine you on the legal papers. And then they make you do a speech. And then they cross-examine you on cases. And I said to God, you know, Lord, I've been out of this for six years. I don't know what the legal standard is for this sort of thing. If they start doing this, here's a bunch of papers, I'm going to say forget it. Because I'm out of this, you know. So I walked in, and there was two guys in there. And, um, and I knew things were looking good. Because they gave me a cup of tea. <laughs> and some chocolate hobnob biscuits. And I thought... I thought, Lord, that's your sign. I am in. <laughs> Seriously. And they didn't ask me one legal question, none of this nonsense with the legal papers. They just said, Mike, we like your CV. We've heard all about you. When do you want to start? <laughs> I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, well, I said, oh, all right then. He said, wait for the senior QC to phone you up. And I went home, but two days later, this bloke phones me up. I won't say his name, but he's a famous QC. He says, hello, hello Mike. He said, are you joining us? I said, yeah, I am, actually, yeah. He said, oh, it's fantastic. When can you join? I said, April. He said, fantastic. See you later. Bang. That was it. I was in. What did I do to get that? Absolutely nothing. That's the point. But you see, God worked that miracle. If you've heard this story before, I'm sorry, but it's still a great story. True? True. It's a great story. God worked that miracle. But this is the important thing. I never once ever doubted that I wouldn't be back in that place. I just didn't know the mechanism of how it was going to work. And if you asked me what you're going to be doing in the future, I'd say I'm going to be barrister one day. Oh yeah, I've qualified. I'm going to be there again. And that came out of the blue. And these guys have been like my family since I've been there. Whereas the old chambers I was at didn't feel right for me. I can't describe it. It just didn't feel right. These guys were on the money. And I love them. It's absolutely brilliant. These other two aspects of my prayer about my forensic and the training have come right as well. And some other miracles that happened, which I haven't got time to go through. But there is as miraculous on these other aspects as this one. And that is my story. Okay? And all I want to say is this. When you wait on the Lord, and it's an active thing, not just giving up hope, you wait on the Lord. Because God's got a period of waiting for you. It's given to you. Whatever that might be. You keep waiting on the Lord. You keep praying. You keep hopeful. You keep reading the word. And you know God's going to do it. If you keep doing that, you listen. And God tells you what to do. God directs you in the right path. The alternative is to let your heart grow cold and to give up. And when you give up, you stop praying. You stop hearing. 
And your dream will die. Potentially. It's not me, I'm not God, I can't, I can't say, but potentially your dream will die. And I believe God took me to that website that night. Isn't that bizarre? Night before. Uncanny. And not even two minutes past nine. Nine o'clock that phone rang. And there she was. Bizarre story. But this reality. True, I haven't embellished any of this. This is all factual stuff. And I'm in there now. But hold on to the Lord. That's all I want to say. Hold on to the Lord. Let your heart rise up with wings of eagles as you wait on him. And all your dreams, God's things God's put in your heart, whether it's your family, which is causing you trouble, whether it's your children, your brothers, your sisters, your aunties, your uncles, your wife, your husband, God wants to save them. You keep holding on to that word and God will not disappoint you. This story is a story of God's faithfulness more than anything. In that resting place, God will come through. And I think that's it, folks. Yeah.